things together. Um, and as we do this, let me just say, like, um, like this is one of those days, one of those moments where, like, I just, I just need to be real with you. Um, the last couple of weeks, everything that's kind of gone on in the world, kind of following the stuff that's happening um, in Ukraine, Eastern Europe, uh, we had, Christy and I had the opportunity to, to, to have some of our friends who are missionaries in the States uh, over this past week to hear from them, kind of what's going on in their life. Uh, I got a chance to sneak in. I snuck in, right, to the women's conference yesterday. I told you I was going to. I snuck into the women's conference yesterday um, and caught, like, the last uh, couple hours of that and just kind of seeing what's going on and what they're praying through and unpacking and, and teaching together. Uh, I'll just be real with you. Today, like, my head and my heart are like a sock drawer. It's just a mess in here. Um, and so I just, I just want to be real with you. Like, I, you know, a lot of times, you know, you come up on a stage like this to preach and teach and things like that, and you expect to have it all together. I don't. Not today, okay? Um, so if I just start crying, uh, just know, like, I'll be okay, right? I took my medication. We, we should be all right. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just been one of those. It's just been a crazy last couple of weeks. Um, and, and what we're going to be talking about today I think matters a ton uh, as I've been praying through and working through just what we're going to be unpacking in Romans this morning. So uh, let's pray uh, together, and then we will we'll dive in. Jesus, uh, we've been, Lord, unpacking this, this deal about what does this Christian life look like, and it is not an easy thing. Um, it requires so much sacrifice from us. It requires us to let go of the things that we desire for ourselves, the comforts, the things that, that we would want for ourselves, Lord, so that, so that we can hang on to what you desire, not only for us, but for your world, for the people, for our neighbors that live next to us in our neighborhoods, for the coworkers that, that work in the office or the cubicle next to us, for the students that, that sit at the desk next to us. Lord, you, want, you have desires for this world. You have a desire for this world. And your plan to, to, to get your gospel from one end of the earth to the other is us. And Father, that's a big deal. And it requires us looking at the way we live our lives, examining these ways that we live. Uh, Lord, because at the end of the day, the gospel is at stake. So, Lord, today I pray that as we unpack your word, as we dive into uh, this letter that was written to a church that honestly is a lot like us. There's a lot of similarities. Bible people are Bible people. They're, they're, not, they're, they're just like us. Uh, Jesus, I ask today that your spirit would meet us in this moment, uh, would meet us in this place, would open up your word in new ways. Uh, Lord, maybe stuff that we've read a thousand times, but God, today may we read it different. Um, Lord, we love you, and we pray all this in your name. Everybody said, I also want to say after last week, thanks for coming back, um, right? Giving us, <laughs> I was like, I don't know who's going to show up, right? Um, so here's the deal. As we've kind of hit this last final stretch in this book of Romans that we've been unpacking together for almost six months, right? We've been really kind of seeking to, to ask and answer one really massive question, and that's this. What does the Christian life look like? What does a Christian life look like? And I don't know about you, but like here's the thing, like for some of us, maybe your story when it comes to kind of answering this question is like you, you know, you, you were discipled by someone, you had someone sit with you and explain Jesus and walk you through scripture and, and, and you got to this point where you're like, yes, I'm ready to believe in Jesus, I want to believe in Jesus and we celebrated that and you got baptized and then after that you're like, now I guess it's up for me to figure it out on my own. Like there's a piece of this where it is, we're, we're just trying to do our best to put this Christian life together and and this is a question that we need to feel safe asking, right? We need to feel safe asking this question in the church, right? We need to feel safe asking this question and not feeling, well, somebody's going to think that we're stupid or somebody's gonna, somebody might actually find out that I don't have it all together. Let me just tell you this. It's okay 
to, to, to know or to think or believe that you don't have it all together, and here's why. You don't have it all together, right? And neither do I. So this is a question that we need to be able to ask and answer. Why? Because how we live matters. How we live our lives matters. And here's why. We share the gospel, like we've been saying, with our lives, the way we live, and with our lips, our stories, our testimonies. So how we live our lives matters because the gospel is at stake. And honestly, church, if we don't dig into and unpack what it looks like to live the with God life, what happens is we run the risk of living counterfeit lives. We, we might look real. We, it might look good on the outside, but it's counterfeit, right? It's just an appearance. So if we don't dive into and unpack this question, we run the risk of living counterfeit lives. And from a counterfeit life comes a counterfeit gospel. And we don't want that. We want this thing to be real and true, and in order to do that, we've got to be real and true. We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to be authentic. We've got to let our guard down, especially in places like this. But as, as we dive more and more in kind of the practical how-to, how the, the life stuff that we've been talking about, I want to make sure that we've got one thing like that's, that's really, I want to make sure we have one really important factor in this really, really clear when it comes to living with God life, and it's this. We don't live differently in order to get some kind of reward from God. Right? This isn't like a, where you're living this life differently in hopes, crossing your fingers, that, that God will look at you and go, hey, you did a really good job, here's this reward. We don't live differently in order to get some kind of reward from God. We live differently because we already have it in Jesus. We already have it. Like, that's the truth. So I, I want you to understand that as we unpack this stuff together, you're not, you, as you seek to live the Christian life, you are not living for a blessing. You're living from a blessing. You're living from the place of already being, in, being blessed in and through the gospel of Jesus that changes everything about everything. Everything about your past, everything about your present, everything about your future has been changed by the gospel of Jesus. And so what we would say, and kind of as we've been piecing all this together, the Christian life looks different, and here's why. It's because our relationship with God, because we have a relationship with God, the Christian life, our life looks different because we've been blessed by grace and mercy through the gospel, and that changes a handful of relationships, the gospel changes a hand, that blessing that we live out of, that we live from and not for, changes some relationships. It changes our relationship with ourselves. Right? Paul talked about this when he said, look, you, you can't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And so you have this through the gospel. You have a healed view of yourself. Right? It's not up to you. Right? You're, you're, you, you don't have to run your universe. You and I, we are not capable. We do not have the strength or ability to run our universes. Only God can do that, and God says, let me do it. Right? So we have a healed view of ourselves in light of who God is in this relationship with Jesus. Right, It changes how we serve the church. We talked about that when it comes to the, the spiritual gifts and using these gifts that the Spirit gives us to serve this body, right? to serve each other and to serve others out there. Right, How we respond to our enemies, that changes because of the gospel, because of the, the Christian life, the way we respond to our enemies. We love our enemies. We pray for the people that persecute us. We feed our enemies who are hungry. We, we, we give them something to drink when they are thirsty. How we respond to our enemies changes in the Christian life. Why? Because of the relationship we have with God through Jesus. We talked last week about how we engage our culture and the world around us. That begins to change. That begins to change. The way our lives look begins to change. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about, it's kind of a two-part conversation, we're going to talk a little bit about how we care for one another in this community. What does it look like for the church to take care of each other in this community? And like I said, today is kind of part one. 
Right, so today is part one of a two-part conversation that we're going to talk about, about unity. What does it mean for us to be united in this body, even though we're different? Even though we come in from different places, different stories, different testimonies, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different traditions, what does it look like for us in this place to protect and promote unity? And today we're going to talk about really that first part of it. What does it look like for us as believers to protect unity? So if you got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Romans chapter 14. Right, starting in verse 1, Romans chapter 14. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV today, right? So the ESV does a really, really, really good job of, of really kind of getting, I think, to the truth of what this is about. Uh, I like the ESV because it doesn't pull any punches, right? So the ESV is what I usually study out of. Sometimes the ESV can get a little heady in its language, right? So sometimes in here I try to, like, we, we want to make sure that everybody can walk out with a better understanding of what it looks like to, to follow Jesus but the ESV, when it comes to pr- promoting and protecting unity within the body of believers, just gets right to the point. Um, so if you're using the Bible app, follow the ESV. If you need a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, uh, that's okay. We've got them in the back. They're free. You can have it. It's yours, right? Take it with you. Uh, but Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions, One person believes that he can eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Paul asks this question, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. All right, so we went from talking about the government to talking about someone who eats vegetables and who doesn't, right? So it's kind of a hard turn here, all right? Big shift. So let me just tell you this. In in all of chapter 14 and about half of chapter 15, what Paul is wanting us to see is this, right? That living the Christian life means we must work together with our attitudes, which is our hearts. So as we're talking about this today, I just want you to understand this. When I refer to our attitudes... I'm talking about like the condition and the environment that exists in our hearts, right? So we have to work together with our attitudes and our actions. And here again, actions is hands just because it's outside, right? It's outside of us. So our attitudes and our actions. He says we've got to work together with our attitudes and actions to protect and promote unity within the church. We have to do this. This is a huge part of living this Christian life, a life that looks different out of this response, right, to this relationship we have with God through Jesus, right? But here's the thing. You can read this and go, yeah, that sounds great. We should do that. But this is way easier said than done, right? N.T. Wright says this, when it comes to unity in the church, we must ask and answer this question. How do we relate to and care for people that are different without either intentionally or accidentally destroying one another? Man, that language sounds really harsh, let me tell you what this looks like. So yesterday, this is where like I'm a bit of, I'm a bit of an idealist, right? Um, I had this 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 day planned. So Christy was going to be here all day at the if gathering uh, with the women here at Adventure, and it was great. It was awesome. It was going to be guys' day at our house, boys' day, and we were going to do we we're going to do manly things. Promote like primarily, my kids were going to help me fix our deck, right? Which was a bad idea. Um, I, but he, you know, I worked I worked really hard ahead of time to kind of get it to where it's like they'd be able to help. Like I'm rigging up all these things. It's like, hey, this is going to be so much easier. You're not going to have to carry really heavy things. Well, one of the things we had to do is we had to dig footers, right? So I'm trying to reinforce our deck. We had to dig holes. And 
at one point, like, I'm digging a hole over here, and I'm taking the dirt from my hole, and I'm tossing it over this way. I didn't realize until I looked out, because I kept realizing, like, we're not having to dig this thing really deep. How come this, there's more, how come there's always dirt in this hole? Like, how come it's like, I, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. What I, re- what I realized about halfway through this was, as I was shoveling dirt from my hole over to this hole, Cash was shoveling dirt from his hole into mine. Right? So it's like... He was trying to help, right? So this is what I'm talking about. When, when N.T. Wright says that, that we've got to figure out how to care for one another without either intentionally or accidentally destroying one, Cash was not trying to derail the work that was being done under the deck, right? It was an accident. But at the same time, he was trying to help, but in his help, he was actually hurting. And so that's really kind of what it looks like for us. How do we care for one another? How do we, care, how do we help one another without either intentionally or accidentally hurting one another. And to tackle all of this, where Paul starts, is with our attitudes, right? We know what attitude is. Attitude is the heart, right? So attitude is the condition and the environment that's going on in our hearts. Now, I want us to really get, I want us to be able to wrap our brains around what Paul is saying. And so what I need you to do is we're going to kind of nerd out a little bit and dive back into some church history stuff. So, so hang with me here, right? Because we're going to go right back into the issues that were happening in the church at Rome at the time, right? So Paul is writing this letter to a specific group of people dealing with specific issues, dealing with specific matters. And from us, we kind of get to read this from an outsider's perspective and figure out those places where it connects in our lives, right? But, but when we do this, it's going to give us a better lens for seeing our own selves and our own attitudes and our own church in light of what, what Paul's talking about. So in Rome... You had this church, this group of believers in Rome. You had two groups of people. Paul called them the weak and the strong, right? And at the center of all of this was this tension, right, was their attitude. It was their heart towards one another, right? So you've got these weak and the strong, and they've got attitudes. They've got energy. They've got tension going at each other. I I heard it summed up like this this week. It says, the quote said this, that the, the weak were a dangerous mixture of uninformed and yet unapproving. The strong were a dangerous mixture of enlightened, enlightened yet elitist. So you kind of see where this is going to be, this is going to go bad. Now I need to say this, the issue of like salvation and their relationship with Jesus, that's not up for debate here. Like that's not in question. This is, this is a, a group of people, both of them had faith in Jesus, were saved by Jesus, right, through faith in the gospel, right? What's happening here is this. The weak, the people that Paul refers to as the weak, they are not as strong when it comes to understanding what it looks like and what it means to live out their faith. And it's simply because they don't know what they don't know. And one commentary I read this week put it this way. The weak person's faith is not yet strong enough to enable them to perceive the full liberty that they have in Christ. Now, that seems innocent enough. Right? That's like Cash underneath our deck trying to dig a hole. Right? He's ne- like, I'm helping him. He's never done this before. Cash has never in his life, believe it or not, as a seven-year-old, he's never, d- he's never dug a footer for a deck. Right? Um, so the first time he's doing this, he doesn't know what he doesn't know, and that's innocent enough. But where this, in terms of the church, starts to destroy and get toxic and come out sideways is in that lack of perception. In that lack of perception, with limited perspective, with limited understanding, these people, they start to judge and openly, vocally disapprove of other people on matters and issues that they don't know that much about. That's not good. Now, the strong on the other side of this, like I said, they're they're more enlightened. 
right? They've got a better grasp on what it looks like and to, to, to share the gospel with their lives and with their lips, what it looks like to live the, the with God life. They, they have a better grasp on the freedom in life that comes from the gospel. And for them, again, it, it starts to destroy, it starts to get toxic, it starts to come out sideways and them acting like snobs to people that are weak. It's like, you weakling, if you only knew what I know. You know, kind of, again, go back to the scene under our deck. It's like his cash is digging the hole, and he's doing his best. He's never done this before. And me, who I've done this before a couple of times, I'm looking at him going like, if you only knew how to do this. If you only knew what I know, but you know what, cash, you don't know what I know. You're so weak. It's a bad mashup. When you have these two different types of people coming at each other from the places where they're coming at each other, it's a bad mashup. And here's the thing, it's all rooted in attitude because they weren't willing to help. They weren't willing to see and understand each other here, right? And so what they were doing as a result of that is they were hurting each other out here with their actions. And if the heart, church, if the heart and the attitude isn't dealt with, here's what comes under fire, unity. Us being united under one common purpose with all of our differences, us being united and being together, that becomes at risk when our attitudes, when our hearts are not dealt with. And when that becomes at risk, when unity becomes under fire, the whole thing can come apart at the seams, which is why Paul is going right at their hearts and right at their attitudes when he says to them and to us, listen, on a simple matter as eating vegetables or not eating vegetables, on a simple matter of your diet, don't despise the one who's eating food that maybe you wouldn't eat. Like if you're not eating that food and they are, don't despise them. And, and here's the thing, if you're eating the food and they're not eating the food, like, like don't judge the one that does. And he answers the question, well, why? why? Why should we not despise and why should we not judge one another? And he says, because God's welcomed both of you. God has welcomed both of you. God invited, he chose and welcomed both of you. And again, it's not just the actions, right? But it's the attitude and posture and condition of the heart that has to be dealt with first. Judging someone or despising someone, that's a heart issue. Judgment and despising people, that is a heart issue. It's not a hand issue, right? It's an attitude thing, not an action thing. It's a heart issue first. N.T. Wright makes this point. He says, listen, both the weak and the strong are marked out solely by their belief that Jesus is Lord. That's what marks them. They're marked out solely by their belief that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him for the dead. That's what matters the most. And he says they must learn to live together without looking down their noses at one another, implying for a moment that God is more pleased with one style of behavior than with another. And that's really what Paul's getting at when he asks this question. Who are you? Who do you think you are to pass judgment on the servant of another? Why? Because you both belong to Jesus. You both belong to Jesus. You both are servants of King Jesus. So just to kind of sum up this little piece right here, in order for you and I, in order for our church to protect and promote unity, it starts with our attitudes towards one another. We have to recognize that. It's a heart thing. And in our attitudes, we have to remember that in Jesus... 
in Jesus, everything that we've talked about in the, really the first 11 chapters of this book called Romans, right, was all about the gospel. And what does the gospel do for all of us, for anyone who chooses to put their faith in Jesus, for anyone who in that moment is also chosen by, by our sovereign Lord, right? What does it do for us? It, it, it gets us into this place where we share a common welcome. We are welcomed welcomed by God into this relationship, into this family. We share a common Lord. He is king. We are not. We share a common bond. We are united by the Spirit. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we share a common judge. At the end of the day, it's not on you and I to judge each other's behavior. It's not, it's, it is really, at the end of the day, God is going to be the one that judges. It's not on us to pass judgment. It's not on us to push him out of that seat. A lot of times we like to do this. A lot of times, ultimately, God will be the one who is the judge. He gets the final say. But there's a lot of times we look at God and we say, God, I think you're in my seat. I'd like to pass some judgment today. Like, God, I know in your word, I know in your word you gave us, like, these things that we're supposed to do. But here's the thing. I would like to give some people a few more. It's not a good spot to be in. So we have to remember that when it comes to our actions. Despite our personal differences, these are the things that we hold in common. Now, he picks back up in verse 5. With the debate, again, kind of with this argument, Paul says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For, get this, none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, who do we belong to? We are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might, bo- that we might, uh, that, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment then on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to me. So then each of us will give account an account of himself to God. See, Paul takes it one step further. And what he does here is he points to what matters most, what's primary and what's essential And he draws a line between things that are primary and essential within the body of believers, within this family, brothers and sisters. And I love this. This is really the first time, one of the first times in this letter where Paul has looked at the people in the church and said, you got to see each other as brothers and sisters. He changes the dynamic of how we see each other. We are a family. We are related. We are children of God, united by the Holy Spirit. And so what he does is he takes this one step further. He says, let me, let me draw a line between the things that are primary and essential, things that you've got to drop your differences, things that you've got to unite around. There are the primary essential things, and then there are things that are not. There are things that are not primary and essential. Because here's the deal. If you read this, according to Paul, the attitudes and actions that are threatening unity are all over secondary issues. John Stott, in his commentary on Romans, refers to them as essential and non-essential matters. He says this, we must not elevate non-essential issues to the level of essential and make them a test of orthodoxy, which is truth or doctrine. 
These things become the test of what's true and what we follow, right? And conditions of fellowship. We can't do this. We cannot take secondary issues and make them conditions of fellowship. Secondary issues cannot be the thing that we stand back on and say, this can determine whether or not you can go to church here. It can't be a secondary issue. He says, here's the deal. Paul distinguished between these things, and so should we. Church, let me be really clear. We cannot, we cannot differ on the primary essential issues of what we believe, our faith, and what it means to pursue that faith. And if you want to know kind of what the primary essential issues here are at Adventure, you can read our statement of faith, right? You can pick one of these up at the welcome desk if you've never seen one before. They're also on our website, right? But here are some of the, just, just a few examples, right? I'm not going to read this whole thing. But just a few examples of what we would consider primary and essential here at Adventure. Number one, God. We believe that there is one God who is the creator of all who exists equally in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's an essential matter. That is primary. When it comes to scripture here at our church, we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that it is inerrant, and that it is authoritative in what it teaches. That's a central issue. Right? And the list goes on, right? Humanity, we believe that each person right, has inherent worth in God's eyes, but is also sinful, fallen, and broken. All of us need restoration to God and to his unique creation and design for our lives. Jesus, we believe that Jesus came to earth fully God and fully man in order to express God's love for us and secure, secure our salvation. While on earth he lived a sinless life, his death and resurrection on the third day became the means of restoration for all humanity. These and the rest of these are all primary issues. We cannot differ on those. Right? More issues for us, more primary issues for us, right? Would be our high five. These are our values. These are the things that drive us. These are the things that steer and direct and guide our church to make sure we stay in the lane, to make sure that we are who we say we are. Those are non negotiables. Issues of sin in our lives, those things are our primary issues. And here's the thing the primary issues, they actually serve to form the foundation of unity and being unified at adventure. Because here's what these primary issues do. What they say is, despite all of our uniqueness, despite all of our differences, our opinions, our backgrounds, our upbringing, our experiences, our traditions, we put all of those things aside to agree on these essential, non-negotiable things that are not up for debate. All of that stuff goes aside for us to come together and agree here. But anything other than these, they're non-essential secondary issues. And at the end of the day, they're matters of opinion. If we can just be honest, there are primary essential issues that are matters of truth. There are secondary non-essential issues that are matters of opinion to us. And the problem in Romans and the problem that churches face today is that secondary non-essential issues get turned into primary essential issues. Essentially what happens is something minor becomes something major and it gets toxic when it gets elevated in our hearts and in our attitudes to, becoming, to, to the level of becoming a character issue against someone who's on the other side of our perceived argument. Right? It's not just now that, that we're different. It's that we're different and you're bad. That's when things come off the rails. In Romans... The weak were saying to the strong, they're eating food they shouldn't. I guess the strong don't care about their purity. That's a character issue. 
That's when a secondary issue gets, gets elevated to a primary issue, and now it becomes an all-out assault on somebody else's character. Yeah, those people over there eating that food, they don't care about their purity. The strong are saying, we're going to eat what we want. You people are so close-minded. Now that becomes an assault on their character. The weak are saying, why don't you set aside one day for God? The strong are saying, we don't set aside one day for God. We set aside every day for God. Why are you limiting yourself? It becomes character issues. You fast forward to the church today. It's things like music style in the church. Each side believes God will only show up if we play certain songs in certain ways. You know, or with or without certain instruments. Like when you think, when you think or you say, God can only move if blank. Like God can only move, God will only move in this place if we sing hymns and someone plays an organ. Or if you think, like, the drums are the instrument of the devil. Right? Or God won't show up. God won't show up if someone, heaven forbid, plays an electric guitar. Or the opposite. God won't show up if, if we don't sing Hillsong songs. God will only move. God will only move if we sing songs that repeat the chorus over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right? That's the only way God will move. Here's the thing. If, if, that's what, if, that's what you're, if, if, if there is any part of you that believes God can only if, fill in the blank, that becomes an attitude and issue of the heart. It's a source of tension, right? At the end of the day, that's just a matter of opinion. And now you're saying that God will only if it lines up with what you think. It's a secondary issue. And that informs that attitude of our heart towards a brother or sister in Christ. We start to form sides. You know, maybe another one is prayer. Like we're all called to pray, right? We know that. We're all called to pray. But when are we supposed to pray? For what are we supposed to pray? How long are we supposed to pray? What words are we supposed to use? How many of us, just show of hands, uh, how many of us before we sit down to eat a meal, we pray before a meal? Okay? My hand is up to you. You know, there's this part in the Old Testament where, where they're instructed to, to pray after the meal. Right? Don't pray before the meal. Pray after the meal. A prayer for Thanksgiving. What are we supposed to do with that? Are we supposed to pray before? Are we supposed to pray after? I mean, again, maybe this is just like church world thing. But like, have you ever felt, maybe this is just me, okay? So I just need to vent. You ever felt judged when you like sit down to eat your lunch and like you take a bite and someone goes, ah, ah, you didn't pray for that. Unblessed food. Unblessed, unclean, right? I'm like, dude, it's McDonald's. I'm pretty sure God's going, you're on your own here, Brad. Like, for real, like, no amount of prayer is going to make this a good decision, dude. But we find and feel tension in things like that. We find and feel tension in what movies or TV shows we watch or what we're not supposed to watch. Or am I supposed to own a TV at all? We find tension, we feel tension where, in where we send our kids to school. Public school, private school, Christian school, home school. We got strong opinions there. We find and feel tension, and we ask this question, can I drink alcohol and still be a Christian? Can I just say this? Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Getting drunk is. 
But at the same time, too, I, and I lived in student ministry world for forever. And so yeah, I, used to, I, I used to have this conversation all the time. I'd have students coming to me going, hey, when, like, is it okay to drink alcohol? And I'm, how old are you? 18. No. Why? Because you're not 21. Well, but in England, you know, or in Ireland. You're not in Ireland. You're in the United States. And as we talked about last week, there are laws, there are rules, there are th- authorities that put these laws in place to restrain your fallenness. And they say, you're not allowed to touch alcohol till you're 21. So if you do that, if you go outside of those laws, you are now rebelling against the government and you are sinning, right? According to what God would have to say, according to what we read in Romans. You're breaking the law. It's important for us to understand this. The Bible's clear on these kinds of things. There are sin issues. Drunkenness that's a sin. That's a sin. And in that tension over issues of opinion, right, matters of opinion, where we argue and we judge and we grow to despise each other in here in our hearts, the secondary issues become primary issues. And then what happens is ultimately character gets attacked on both sides. Unity is not being promoted. Unity is not being protected. And now the whole thing is in danger. So not only in this case do we have unity getting squashed, but the reasons it's getting squashed shouldn't be reasons at all. And here's the deal, church. The the best way, I'm going to give you a filter, right? The best way to determine if your attitudes or your actions toward a person, a brother or sister in Christ, are in check is to ask essentially two questions. Ask God what he says about the issue and ask God how he feels about that person. That's a good way to check yourself. God, what do you say about this issue? What do you say about the issue of music style? What do you say about the issue of preaching style? God, how do you feel about that person? If there's a difference, if there's a difference in what God says, if there's a difference in what God feels, what he says and how he feels from what you say and what you feel, it's not him that needs to change, it's you. And that's just the truth. I think a lot of times when we get in spaces like this, we're like, God, I wish you would just get on board with me. Can't you see? Can't you see, God, that this, can't you see? Look at them. God, would you just come on board with me here? And what we try to do is we try to kind of reform and reshape God in our own image so that then this God that we've created agrees with us. Yes, they're bad. Those people are bad. You shouldn't associate with those people. Those people don't do it the way that I would do it, and I would do it the way you would do it. I'll just tell you, God has never asked my opinion on anything. Brad, what do you think? Sometimes I wish he would, right? I got, I got, can I, I got this, Right? So for some of us, we got to run that filter, right? And if there's a difference between what we find in Scripture and what we think, if there's a difference between the way that we feel about someone, a brother or sister in Christ, in our community of faith, in this family, it's not God that needs to change. It's you. It's me. It's us. Now, before you think, like, I can do whatever I want. Like, it's like that Little Caesars commercial. There's no rules. Like, then put your shirt back on, right? Like, before you go, like, kegger this week at D Group, right? Before you go there, right? Let me just say this. Let's read this together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. And this is the New Living Translation. It says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, which is real easy to kind of read this and go, well, yeah, I can do whatever I want. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. But Paul makes sure to say, not everything's good for you. 
Yeah, you can do whatever you want, but not everything is good to you. And you say, but you know what? I'm allowed to do everything, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is edifying. Not everything is going to lead you closer to Jesus. Not everything is going to be good for your spirit. Not everything, not every song you listen to, show you watch, movie you go to, thing you put in your body, it's not going to be beneficial. It's not good for you. It's not good for you yourself, but then when you get community involved, it becomes even more dangerous, which is why Paul says, don't be concerned for your own good, but rather for the good of others. An attitude, church, an attitude that is set on protecting and promoting unity would say this, just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. And if it's going to hurt or put unity at risk in the heart of another, we won't. That's what that looks like. And then Paul kind of flips into application mode. Starting in verse 13, he says this, Therefore, in light of all this, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? In light of all this, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Stop judging. But rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and Paul says, listen, my own personal belief, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul says, essentially, that's my belief. But here's the thing, it is unclean for anyone who thinks that it is. When when our hearts, when the attitudes of our hearts are to serve and protect unity in our church and in the heart of another person, it matters what they think. It matters what they feel. It matters what they believe. Paul goes on and says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of evil. Take the time. If you find yourself in this place where you're chatting with someone who it's very clear, maybe they're new to this whole Jesus thing, and they don't know what they don't know, instead of being a snob and looking down your nose at them and going, you weakling, take time and explain. Offer perspective. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of evil, but at the same time, don't steamroll people. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The primary issues matter. It says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men, so then let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. Build each other up. Let us pursue those things. Pursue the things that build each other up. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You think Paul's trying to get a point across? The faith that you have to keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I'm going to wrap up like this. We're going to land the plane today. It's kind of the, the end of part one, right? You've got to come back next week for, the, for the, the, the wrap up, the sequel. It's real simple, church. Unity happens in community. You cannot have unity without community. Unity does not happen on your own, right? Unity does not happen by yourself. 
There's that old phrase, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? It takes unity and community to go far. But striving to protect and promote unity in community is hard work, and we need to understand that. One author I read this week said this, community is difficult because everyone brings something different to the table. And I love this. We both bring blessings and baggage from our traditions, our cultures, our upbringings, and our experiences. I think some of us, we don't see the baggage part of it. We just see the blessing part of it. This is the way it is. We don't see it as baggage. But the truth is, we bring both blessings and baggage. And true community, true community in faith, right, is a mashup of people who are unique and different and diverse. And we should be. We should celebrate our uniqueness, our differences, and our diversity. And here's the, here's the deal. It's healthy in that to expect to encounter blessings that are to be celebrated. And it's also healthy to expect to encounter baggage that we need to work through together. With grace and love and humility. That's real. When it comes to church, the same writer wrote this. The church is the most unlikely group of unified people brought together solely for Christ's sake. I love that. So I want to land the plane today by getting real practical for just a second. Typically what happens when we run into issues and we run into tension and problems and conflict into community, in community, in the church due to attitudes and actions, we typically respond in one of two ways, right? And I know it's not limited to two, but this is just kind of the, the, the overarching. First is this, we abandon community. We abandon community. That's our response. Things got tense. Things got hard. Things got weird. There was conflict. I'm out. Instead of working to promote and protect unity in our community, we leave. Why? Because... It just, it just stopped being fun. It took a lot of work. The only way for me to relieve this tension was to punch out. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm leaving. I'm going to go find unity and community somewhere else where it's easier. And after a while, the way this plays out, you start to wonder why you've hopped around from one community to another, and then another, and then another, and then another. And it's because promoting and protecting unity in a community, in a faith community like this one, is never going to be easy. It's just not. If the primary essential issues are intact, and the secondary and the, the tension that you're feeling right now is over secondary, non-essential issues. The question is this, can you hang in? Can you hang in? Are there hard conversations, honest conversations that maybe you need to have before you decide to let go of the rope? Before you abandon community, is there a way for you to stay engaged? That's number one. Number two is this, we divide community. We don't leave the community that we're in. We stay in the community, but here's what we do. We limit the people that we engage with. We spend time with, we hang out with, we only talk to certain people in that community. We essentially, what we do is we pick and choose and we hang out with the people that are like us and that like us. Why? It's easier. And essentially what we do is we form cliques. I read this this week. The difference between a true community and a clique is that one is not readily accepting of other people and the other is. The differentiating factor is simply an unwillingness to offer acceptance to someone who is seen as different. Now here's the truth. There's a lot of gray area to navigate. When it comes to our relationships and our communities, there's a lot of gray area to navigate. But when it comes to unity in the church, let me make this really simple. You're either unifying or dividing. There's really not much in between. 
there's not much neutral ground. You're either unifying or you're dividing. You are either working to unify or you are working to divide. And you're like, well, I'm not doing anything. Again, if you're not working to unify, even by staying back and being passive, you're allowing division to take place in front of you. And I'll be honest with you, it's time, church, for us to sheepdog up a little bit. I sat and listened yesterday to the end of the if gathering where there is an enemy that has unique schemes for each one of us, but this enemy also has a scheme designed for the church. And the best thing, the easiest thing for him to do is to get the church, to get the church divided and distracted. Because when we are divided and we're distracted, we are, we are ineffective. He wants to kill us. Understand that. He wants to physically kill us. He wants to physically stomp out the church. And it's time for us as believers, as brothers and sisters, to sheepdog up a little bit and say, not in here, not on my watch. I will not let this happen. I will be the one that steps forward to engage. I will be the one that steps forward to have the hard conversations. I will ask the question. I will do all that I can to promote and protect unity within this body. I mean, there's a real, there's, there's a real war happening. There are real wars happening all over our planet, but there is a spiritual war happening amongst us every day. And church, we are on the side that wins. The schemes of the devil have no power in the face of Christ. We cannot allow him to divide our body. We cannot allow him to divide our family. And through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we have to allow that that spirit to speak through us and say, not here. Not here, not now, not ever. Now, having said that, let me just say this. There are times, if I'm just being real, there are times that we need to step away. I'll just tell you, and this this goes for me, right? You can hold me accountable to this, right? If there ever comes a point in this church where primary issues are not being upheld the way they need to be upheld, right? If that, we need to talk about that, right? Because like, if if you ever are in a church where the primary issues are not being held, where, where people are backing away from truth, right? The true gospel is not being preached, leave, run. If that ever happens here, please, that's something that we need to talk about so that we can circle back and get back on course. We want to make sure that we hold on to those primary issues, right? There may be some times where due to some really, really, really strong opinions on secondary issues, it makes it practically, personally impossible to promote and protect unity. Just You know what? We just differ. We're different. Let me just say this. In those cases where you have really strong opinions on secondary issues, it's better to step away. It's better to step away, but when you do that, you can do that peacefully. You can do that mutually. I mean, I've had conversations with people in the past 20 years in ministry where it's like, listen, I I don't know that this is the church, and we were able to have those conversations and pray together, and it's respectful, and it's edifying. It's, hey, can I make some calls to some churches in the area where I can help you get connected? Like, those things can help. You can edify the body. You don't have to go out of this place trying to burn it down. And I get that. That's why there's all kinds of variety. 
As long as the churches are holding on to the primary issues of the gospel and truth and sin and, and salvation and the Holy Spirit, the works of the Holy Spirit, right? As long, we're all on the same team. Some churches may sing different songs with different instruments. You might like that. Go for it. There are moments in our lives where personally it becomes really impossible to protect unity. We just have really strong opinions. It's okay. It's okay. Let's find a community. Let's find a family where you can plug in. So I want to end with these questions, okay? Think about this. Where maybe in the past have you let go of the rope and you've abandoned community? My question for you is this. Can you re-engage? Can you grab hold of the rope again? Maybe in the past, whether it maybe it was intentional or unintentional, right? But, but you kind of closed off and, and either through direct action or inaction allowed community to be divided or you limited community. You only said, I'm only, I'm only going to talk to this group of people that, that are like me and like me, right? That happens. That's real. Can I ask you this? Are you willing to open that up and bring others in? And ask the question we asked before, how does God... What does God say about the issues you have? What does God say about the people that you have them with? Here's the question. Can you, can you change? Can you change to line up with him? Are your attitudes, the, the condition of your heart and your actions, the work of your hands, are they unifying the church community or are they dividing it? My question for you is this. Can you make a change? to be one that heals instead of hurting. Can you make that shift? We're gonna stop there today. I'm gonna pray for us. Today, if you need prayer, if you wanna talk about what it means to, to accept Jesus, to, to, to be welcomed in, right, to, to choose him and be chosen by him, I would love to meet with you. I'll be down front. If today you just need prayer over stuff going on in your life, maybe you're like me and you walked in today and your head and your heart are spinning and it's a sock drawer of all kinds of feelings in here, if you just need somebody to pray with, I'm going to be up here on this side. Uh, Nick, one of our elders, is going to be over here. Scott, another one of our elders, will be in the back. Our wives are also available. Ladies, if you feel more comfortable praying with, uh, with, with a lady than, than with a dude, you're, you're able to do that as well. I totally understand. We would love to pray for you in this moment. We'd love to offer that up. If you want to talk about what it looks like to join and be a part of this community, we'd love to welcome you in here as well. But let's pray, and then we'll worship. Jesus, today, Father, we... We want to be ones that protect unity. Jesus, you were not afraid to speak out against those that would want to divide. Jesus, you were, were not afraid to, to deal with those who ultimately wanted to hurt in your Father's house or in your Father's name, whether they meant to or not. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, Jesus, you never hesitated to show people what is real and true and why unity matters. And so today, Father, I pray that as a church family, we walk out of here understanding that there might be differences in where we come from, the cars we drive, the way we vote, where we work. There may be differences in our upbringing. We may be, maybe have gone to this denomination or that denomination, or we have history in this, this type of church. God, today, when we set those things aside for the sake of the gospel, we set those things aside, set, set those things aside for, for the works of your Holy Spirit through us to lead a broken world to you. God, I think of what, what Buddy Howard used to say up here when he says, our job is to take a message that never changes to a world that never stays the same. 
order for us to do that, we have to be unified. We have to, we have to seek to promote and protect that in each other. So Father, this is your church, it's not mine. It's not our elders' church, it's not our staff church, this is your church. So Father, as a church, we just lay ourselves at your feet and say, do with us what you will. We love you, it's your name we pray, amen.